We've been looking at the miracles of Jesus. We talked about the water and the wine, about the power of Jesus to completely change something. We talked about the nobleman's son, that Jesus has power from a distance um, with his words. We talked about the um, man at Bethesda, that 38 years of no hope, that Jesus can bring hope into hopeless situations. We talked about the the fish being caught and the the significance of obedience. We talked about Peter's mother-in-law and the idea of intercession. We've um, talked about the man who's had the demon cast out and the idea of Jesus has the authority, um, that even the demon world responds to him. They understand that his place and role in, in, in the, the cosmos and the world. Um, we talked about the, um, the man with the withered uh, hand um, last week and the, the significance of just the idea of actions speak louder than words. And we talked about the leper and the compassion. And actually the... the, the, the miracle that we're going to look at this morning, um, follow, as many people believe, follows the miracle of the leper. Uh, where, again, you've got to understand the way the miracles are laid out in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, it, it, it's kind of all over the place, and it's hard, to put, it's hard to put them in chronological order unless the Bible says this was the first miracle, this was the last, this was the second. So um, I, I need to talk a little bit about the passage we're going to look at this morning. Uh, it's, it's the miracle of the uh, centurion's servant. Um, and let me, let me explain a couple things to you because it's, it's, um, it's, a, it's a very controversial miracle for a number of reasons. Okay? Uh, first of all, um, it's, it's, it's controversial because it looks like, in some cases, uh, it's two miracles. Uh, Luke describes it one way, Matthew describes it another way. It's not found in Mark. So what happens is in, in Matthew, uh, we read that the centurion comes to Christ. In Luke, we read that he sends people to Christ. And so people look at it, and some people look at that, and they go, okay, because of that, it's like two separate things. And it's, it's not. It's the same miracle. Other people look at it and say, ah, if it's the same miracle, then uh, the Bible contradicts itself. And it doesn't. Both can be true. And I, I think that's what happened here. I think what happens is, the we'll talk about it in a second, the centurion sends a group and then the centurion goes. Uh, and, and so both can be true. Luke and Mar- Matthew can be true. We don't have to say it has to be one or the other. They can both be true. So, you know, if you have a study Bible and you read some of these kind of things in the notes or if you go back later and read it, and we're going to look at Luke's account this morning, but if you go back later and read it in Matthew, it's like, whoa, I don't, I don't understand the contradiction. That's why, okay? Um, so since Luke has a little more detail, and Luke was written to, the, written to a Gentile group, well, that's the one I want to look at this morning. Matthew's account was written to a Jewish group, and, so, um, and, and I think that's also why the difference in the way the story's told, because to a Jewish audience, um, the, the, the idea that they would want a centurion coming to a Jew. Um, in, a, in Luke's thing, which is written to a Gentile audience, they would want the idea of a, of a Roman soldier sending other people. Um, they, they would want that Gentile influence in it. So anyway, but uh, it, the, the miracle follows the Sermon on the Mount, so that gives us a little bit of context. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has talked about all the blessed are, you know, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit, you know, all those blessed. In addition to that, um, 
it, uh, it's coming off of Jesus' teaching about the house built on the rock. It comes off of Jesus' teaching about um, the Lord, that, that Jesus is Lord, um, that Jesus should be the master and ruler. And so I think it fits very well in following up that kind of context. So with that in mind, let's read the first part of it. It's in Luke, uh, Luke chapter 7, uh, and, and here's what it says. Um, when Jesus had finished saying this to all the people, we're talking about that Sermon on the Mount thing, who were listening, he entered to Capernaum. And there was a centurion's servant whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to come to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and he has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. Uh, this is, the way we're going to lay this out is, this is I, w- I want you to see how the people saw uh, the centurion. I want you to see how the centurion saw himself. And I want you to see how Jesus saw the centurion. Because it breaks itself down very nicely that way. So let's talk about the, how the people saw the, the, the centurion. Um, as a centurion, if you'll notice, it, it says he's a centurion. So in the military, if he's a centurion, how many people do you think he was command of? A hundred. So a hundred, give or take, he's a commander, a military leader of a hundred or so people. Uh, here's what's significant about this. First of all, he's Roman. And he's going to come to a Jewish rabbi. It's also significant that he is concerned about his servant. That is highly, highly unusual, um, particularly in the Roman world. Now, as a Roman military leader, let me, let me explain to you. At this point in history, Rome does not have a strong military presence in this area. They have a military presence, but it's not, it's not military military. It's more social peacekeeping military. So I would, I would compare it today to, our, to, to like a National Guard unit. They can fight, and they're equipped and trained to fight, but their primary role is civilian unless there's a military thing that comes up, and then they switch roles. In the same way, there is a military presence. He's a Roman centurion soldier in this area, 100 people under his command, but it's not like they're they're a military force trying to harp on everybody. They're just kind of there in case something comes up, and then they're going to be called up to deal with it. So that's kind of the role at this point in history the Roman military is playing in in Capernaum. Um, Now, here's what's significant about this, and what you need to understand historically. He's a Roman centurion concerned about a servant. Um, Let me explain to you why that's so significant. Uh, Matthew actually the term that Matthew uses for servant actually is the idea of a child. So some commentators actually believe that it wasn't necessarily the servant who was sick, but it was the servant's child who was sick, which adds even another dimension to it. Um, what you need to understand is what was taught to the Roman people at this time about servants, slaves. Um, in our culture, we don't have a lot of reference for this, but in their culture, there was a very, very distinct attitude towards slaves. Um, The Roman philosopher Aristotle, who many of you have heard of, here's what he said. 
No friendship or justice should be established between a horse, an ox, or a slave. Aristotle, who's the Roman philosopher at that day, basically looks at it and says, you know what? A horse, an ox, and a slave, equal. Don't get attached to any of them. Kind of the attitude that we have towards cats in our house. Um, in our ha- honestly, we have, we have farm cats, and the, the, uh, some of your cat people, don't worry, our cats are very well treated, very well loved, but we don't name them. Okay? They're farm cats. In fact, it, this really played itself out when Jimmy got a cat for indoors at his house. And its name is? Cat. cat. Um, that's what they named it, cat. Uh, because that's our world. I mean, you know, it's their farm cats. And so we try not to get too attached to them because we know that they're farm cats. And they may be there tomorrow and they may not. The coyotes may get them. They may just wander away to another farmstead. And so, you know, um, but now the ones we have are really nice and playful and all that. But anyway, um, this, is what, this is what he taught regarding slaves. Horse, ox, slave, don't get attached to them. Uh, the Roman writer of the time, a guy by the name of Vero, said this. The only difference between a slave, a beast, and a cart is a slave talks. That's what they taught. Romans were raised to believe that you got a horse, or you got an ox, you got a cart, you got a slave. The slave loads the cart, the cart's pulled by the ox, and they're all the same. So if you've got to sell one, doesn't matter which one you sell. They all have equal value. And the only difference between the slave and the ox, that, that one talks. No different than a cart. They looked at it as nothing more than property. Um, Cato, who was an elder at the time, he said this. He said, if you find yourself in financial trouble, he said, first of all, sell off all of your worn out old stuff. Look at, for all of your sick slaves, sell them. And all of your elderly ones, get rid of them because those things have no value to you. That was the teaching of the day. That was the culture of the time. That's the Roman idea. It says here, this guy cared about his slave who was sick. That's pretty impressive. That's really impressive. And we get some more insight to this guy. Notice what it says. He heard that Jesus of Jesus and sent some of the elders of the Jews to him asking him to come and heal a servant. He understood the culture. He understood that Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. He understood that these guys were Jews. So even though he's a Roman centurion, even though he could walk in with his pomp and presence and everything else and ask them of Jesus, he looks at these guys and says, will you please intercede for me? Will you go and talk to Jesus and see if he'll come and help my servant, my slave? And it takes it even further. Because notice what it says. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly. They come to Jesus and they said, based on this guy's works, we want you to heal his servant. And notice what the guy had done. This man, the Jews come to Jesus and say, this man deserves you to do something for his slave. And here's why. He loves our nation, talk about the Jewish nation, and he has built our synagogue. Now, put this in your thinker for a minute. What this means is a Gentile Roman 
leader of the day. Contributed financially in every way possible to help build the synagogue in the area. And he would never be allowed to visit the synagogue. Because he was not a Jew. This guy has got some stuff going on. This guy has a heart to understand some things even the Jewish people don't get. And so this is not your average kind of guy. This is a guy who's tenderhearted. This is a guy who is humble. This is a guy who is generous. This is a guy who is compassionate. And he says, I want my servant to be healed, and I think that guy can do it, and I need you guys to go talk to him for me, and then... Matthew, I think the idea then is then once you've laid the groundwork, then I'm going to come along and I'm going to talk to him. And he comes and he asks, will you heal my servant? And then notice what happens next to this. That's how these people saw this guy in the community. Notice how uh, the next passage talks about the idea of how this guy saw himself. Um, So Jesus makes his way. When he's not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man in authority, with many soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. This guy's meets Jesus, sends a group to meet Jesus, and then I think in Matthew's account, he's meeting Jesus. He goes, whoa, 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 stop for a minute. You don't need to come to my house. Now, this isn't him saying, oh, my house is dirty. I don't want Jesus to show up. This is a guy who understands the culture of the day because had Jesus entered the home of a Roman centurion, in the Jewish world, he would have been considered unclean for that time period. So this is a guy who's actually, not only is he humble, but he's actually trying to protect the testimony and reputation of the rabbi. And say, look, you don't need to do that. And then he he does this. He looks at him and he says, and by the way, there's really no reason for you to come. Because see, I understand who you are. And I I know how it works in my world. And the way it works in my world is, I look at this guy and say, hey, look, I need you to go over and check out that side of the town. We're having some problems. I look at my servant and say, you know what? I need you to make me a, uh, some tea, and you go ahead, and let's go ahead and get that, 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 that uh, steak started this afternoon, and you do that. He said, that's the world that I live in. He said, I just simply say it, and it happens. And he said, you don't need to come to my house. I understand the authority you have. You can just make it happen. You don't have to be there. Now, this is a Roman centurion who has this kind of outlook and this kind of attitude towards Jesus. And notice what happens. So this guy comes in and goes, look, you know what? I I understand your authority. I, I don't need you to come to my house. I don't need you to make a big spectacle of it. I don't need a big show. You just simply make it happen. And notice what happens. Because you won't see this in the Bible very often. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Let me tell you something. When you can amaze God, that's like a big deal. 
Okay? When God in heaven sits down and looks at you and goes, Wow, Jim, I was pretty impressed with the way you handled that one. You've, you've accomplished something in the kingdom world. When the creator of the universe sits back and goes, Wow, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. That's a big deal. Because notice what he goes on to say. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. The Jewish people don't get what this guy gets. And by the way, it's one of the few times in the Bible you will see Jesus talk about great faith. He talks about little faith. Oh, you have little faith. A lot. He doesn't often talk about great faith. This is one of the examples. He looks at him and he goes, guys, this guy, he's got it. He's figured it out. The amount of faith and confidence and trust this guy has in me, take note, this is special. I haven't seen this kind of stuff. You know, all that Sermon on Mount stuff I was just talking about? This is what it looks like. All that authority stuff that I've been doing, this is what it looks like. And notice what he goes on to say. <clears throat> then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. In this whole story, there's the miracle. One little line at the end of the story. Why? Because it's, it's not about the miracle. The focus, that's what makes this miracle unique, is it's not about the miracle, it's about the man's faith. It's about the confidence and trust this guy has in God. The understanding this guy has about God's authority. So talk about a couple of takeaways, some practical things for us today. First thing I think you see. Again, you see this idea of interceding. What do you have? You have the, the centurion interceding for a servant. You have the Jewish leaders interceding for the centurion. You have people coming alongside who say, I, want to do, I can do something about this, and I'm going to do something about this. I think that's a great lesson for us. Look, you're going to have people in your path all week long that you can do something for, and you need to. That's why you've been put. That's why they have been put in your path. That's why you've been put in their path. Where you need to step back and you need to go, you know what? I have the ability, the resources, the time, energy, effort, whatever else. I'm going to make commitment. I'm going to intercede. I'm going to step in on their behalf and help them with this. It's essential to who we are as believers. You've seen it in, in Peter's mother-in-law. You have seen it over and over again, the guys who let the guy down through the roof. You have seen it over and over again in the way that the disciples interact with one another. This intercession thing is essential for us as believers. And in this case, this centurion intercedes on behalf of his servant who can't help himself. And he steps in and says, look, I'm going <clears throat> to try to get you help because I heard there's a guy. So I'm going to go to another guy, group of guys, and say, look, can you get me an entrance into that guy? Because I'm trying to help this guy. He didn't have to. In the Roman culture, this was unheard of. But he was not the norm in the Roman culture. And so he had a, he had a, he had a passion to be able to help this guy, and he does everything in his power to do it, and the guy gets healed as a result of it. That interceding thing. Look, I don't know who it is that God's going to bring in your path this week. You need to help need to intercede for you need to do something for but don't overlook them in this culture they were taught that slave no different than that cart but this man said no 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 
I have an opportunity to intercede for somebody, and I'm going to. I think another lesson, <coughs> really, that you see in the story, and I think it's probably one of the, one of the key ideas um, that you see in here, is this, is this concept that he has of, of not just little faith, but great faith. I'm amazed at his humility. He says, look, I'm not even worthy to come to you with this. And I didn't want to come to you with this, but I, I have to on behalf of this person. But I know that if you want to do this, you can do this. And you don't even have to walk into my house. You just, you, all you have to do is, is, is say it or will it, and it's going to happen. He says, that's the kind of faith this guy had. And there's a humility. One of the problems I have sometimes with the, and I think you know what I'm talking about, the name it, claim it kind of Christianity. Um, when I see people approach God, I see people approach God in humility. Um, I understand I, can, I have boldness to enter into the holiness. I, I understand all that, but I go before God humbly, recognizing who he is and, and who I am. And well, one of the problems that I have with some types of Christianity is it's this idea of I go in and de make demands of God. And this guy doesn't do that. He doesn't walk in making demands of God. He walks in and says, look, you can help my servant. All you got to do, it, 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 stop. You don't need to walk to my house. That's not necessary. You can do this from here. It's that kind of faith that God has the power to do that in God's timing and God's way. We've understood that here. We have seen that here over and over and over again. We have watched God in, in, in taking care of dirt right now. That's the, that's the thing that's happening now. We got another call, met with a guy this week. You know, they're, they're going to haul 100 loads out of here this, starting this week. So now we got three loaders up here, you know. Why? Because in God's time, when God wanted the dirt gone, the dirt was going to be gone. And I'm naive enough to think that we shouldn't have to pay for dirt being gone. Okay? And, and we haven't been actually... Actually, you know, we've been giving it away and, and because it, it's, it's the fastest way to get rid of it. And the guy this week, he goes, what, you're giving away? I said, yeah, we're giving it. We just want it gone. Work with us on it. This is how we want it out. Da, da, da. He goes, well, he said, I'm doing this for so-and-so. And he said, I got news for you. He said, I'm calling him up, telling him to make a donation. I said, we'll take that. <laughs> I said, I'm going to turn down money for dirt. But I said, by the same token, I said, you know, I said, that's our deal, you know. I said, I'll, I'll take money for it, you know. Um, I, I wasn't that stupid. Uh, but, I mean, it's one of those kinds of concepts where it's like, you know, you know what? God can do that, and God in this time will do that. But it's important that we have the kind of faith to trust God to do that. Um, it, this often comes up with church. With, here, I got, I got cornered by it last week even. Um, when visitors come, you know, one of my big questions is, what, what, what did you like? What did you not like? da 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 what, what, what was unique? What, what, you know, I, I, if, I, if I'm comfortable with the person, I'll pick their brains. Um, and one of the questions I got was, okay, you missed something. I get this a lot. You forgot something. Like what? You, you forgot to take the offering. And I'm like, no, I didn't forget to take the offering. And I had to explain this to somebody last week. You know, and they said, how does it work? I said, God's people support God's work. That's the way it works. 
Yeah, but don't you like need to remind them? No. That's God's job, not mine. Well, don't you need to like, like motivate them? No, that's the Holy Spirit's job. That's not mine. Why? Because we've, we believe in a principle that if we're going to teach you to live by faith, we're going to teach you that we should live by faith, that as a church we should as well. And from day one, we have done that here. And from day one, we have said, if God wants to, to do it, God will take care of it. Um, and, and we have watched God all the way through. When we ever, whenever we make a decision... Believe it or not, money is, and this is the hardest thing when new board members come on, is to work with new board members to get them to understand. In a percentage of, of role play in a decision, money's like 1% to 5% of the decision, if at all. When we decide that, we're, that God wants a group to go to the mission field, we, if, we made, if we had made every decision based on what the budget looked like or what the money bank account looked like, we'd never gone. Um. If we would have built this building based on what the budget or what the money said, it never would have happened. In fact, when we took this building, the congregation, and we said, look, we got three sizes we can build. This was the largest building we could build, and we had enough money to put up a shell. No doors, no windows, no insulation other than in the ceiling. We had a ceiling insulated, a slab, and walls. And they said, that's what we can build. And I'll never forget the guy who guy who stood up one of the meetings, he goes, Pastor, he said, I ain't never built a shed too big. And I was like, that's pretty hard to argue with. I didn't understand it at the time. Now I do. Uh, we need a bigger shed, dear. Uh, anyway. Um, <laughs> wow, this could work really well for me. No, um, great faith, honey, great faith. Uh, I, I, it's that idea of learning to trust God. It's that idea of stepping out and saying, okay, God, I, I'm confident you can do this, and I'm trusting you to do it. And that, this guy actually stops Jesus and says, look, you, I know you're coming to my house. You don't need to come to my house. You just will it and, and say it, and it's going to happen, and you can move on with your other stuff. And Jesus himself goes, oh, I'm blown away. I've never seen this. Been here 30-some-odd years, and I've never seen anything like this. Hey, you guys, pay attention. Because this Roman centurion, he gets it. This guy gets it. And you Jewish people who know all the Bible, you ain't got it yet. But he's got it. He's figured it out. And I think the other lesson here, and, and I preached a youth retreat a couple weeks ago, and this was, this was actually the first session that I did with him, is this guy understood that God was the authority. And that's a simple principle, but that's a huge principle. I don't know why we think we can run our lives better than God can, but we do. We think that, that, that we're in control, and we're not. And we think that, okay, the Bible's a little outdated. It says that I should be doing this, but really it doesn't understand my world. And if it understood my boss, it wouldn't tell me to serve him like that if if you really understood my wife you'd understand that it would be love your wife when she loves you instead of love your wife as christ loved the church and gave himself for it you see you don't understand my situation and we try to sidestep god's authority in our lives and, and what i challenged the teenagers with was this concept of 
You've got to choose who's going to be authority. It's either going to be you or God. And God will let you call the shots. And God will bring you to a point where you'll start to understand that you need him because you can't do a good job calling the shots. Um, I look at it this way here, and this is my analogy maybe to help you understand it. Um, in my world, I have, I have four cars at home. Two of them have cruise control. Two of them do not. Okay? Um, I don't want an MG with cruise control. I really don't. Uh, but I, I, two of them have cruise control. Here's what I found. When I drive my little Hyundai, which I love, um, and, and yes, it got in an accident two weeks ago. Some idiot backed into me, my whole side of my car, and I couldn't get out and yell at it, yell at the guy because I was driving the van that backed into it. So, um, so it's like, I, how do you, how do you wreck two cars at once? I, I was able to, I managed to do it two weeks ago. But anyway, so I got this dent, and I still like driving it. You go, are you going to fix it? No, I'm not going to fix it. It's got 180,000 miles on it. I'm driving it to the wheels. Just one day I'm going down the road and the wheels go boom, and that's done. Um, but I mean, you know, I'm still driving. So anyway, but it doesn't have cruise control. So here's the thing. If I'm driving down the road in my little Hyundai, I would like to say that my foot is light, but it's not. And before I know it, as hard as I am, I've got to constantly be looking at the speedometer going, okay, okay, if I'm trying to, if I'm trying to stay on track with the, with the, the speed I get, always get going faster, and then I, I, I realize, oh, no, I shouldn't be going that fast. I love those little things that tell you how fast you're going. Um, I think those are like the greatest thing in the world because um, I, I don't want to intentionally break the law, but you, I got a heavy foot, okay? I, I, I always have. And so um, when I'm driving my hunt, it's easy for me to go faster than the speed limit. When I'm driving the van or jeans car, I just set the cruise control, and I don't think about it. I let that control my speed. It can, as I go up a hill, it kicks in a little more. When I go down a hill, it lets off. It takes care of it all. All I do is I trust what I set it at, it's going to stay at. It's cruise control. It's in control of the speed of my car. Yesterday, I got put to the test. Uh, we were at the expo, and we came back from the expo deal, and and I love stopping in Jackson where the little ice cream shop is. And so I got my ice cream and I got my wife one. I walk in the ice cream shop and there is a friend of mine who's a pastor in Sioux City. And so, you know, I said, oh, what are you doing here? You know, and he said, oh, we were just at the expo with my kid. And so we're talking and he goes out and talks to Gene. And so we get to drive out of Jackson together. And so we come right out of Jackson. I set my cruise control at 60 miles an hour from there to uh, the, the um, South Sioux. And this pastor's in front of me about, I don't know, you know, 200, 300 yards. And I noticed that my cruise control was set on 60. And I keep getting closer and closer and closer to him. Now I'm in a conundrum. Do I pass another pastor? <laughs> and then he looks more spiritual than me. <laughs> or do I? Now I'm doing the speed limit. I'm not speeding. I'm doing 61. I'm not doing 60. I'm doing 60. But... His, his car has a different thing than mine is set at, so apparently. So, and I'm gaining on, so finally I back it off to like 58 and 59. I'm thinking, okay, I know where he lives, so I'm thinking, okay, good. He's going to go straight. No, I followed him all the way to Sergeant Bluff, you know, and, and I told Gene, I said, they must have moved because I said, this is not right. Um, but it was one of those things where, it, it was one of those things where 
I was trusting it to be in control, but so often I'm struggling back and forth wanting to take control of it. And I think that's, that's how we are in life sometimes. We go, okay, I'm going to trust God in this situation, but then we micromanage the cruise control the whole time. Instead of just saying, okay, it's set, I'm going to depend on it to do it. And we do that so often with God. We come to God and say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you, but then we try to micromanage it. How, what, what kind of, I'm having trouble with my spouse. How do I deal with my spouse? We go to the Bible, the Bible tells us what to do, and then what do we do? We micromanage. Uh, well, you know, I know I'm supposed to, but you don't understand, and there are this and that's and that. No. No. We trust, we put our trust in, 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 the, in, in the control of God's word. Yeah, I, I know what the Bible says about, you know, all that, all that stuff about servants and masters and doing a good job. And, but you don't understand, to really get ahead in the, in the corporate world, I got to do it this way. I got to cut the corners because my guy in the other cubicle is cutting the corner. No, you don't micromanage the cruise control. You set it, you trust it, you go forward putting your confidence in that. You go to what God says, and God says, this is the way you ought to do it, this is the way you ought to do it. With your finances, the same thing. What do you do? You go to the Bible, you say, how does the Bible say I should set up my finances? Okay, this is how I'm going to do it. Oh, but you don't understand. I, you know, I just can't do that because, like, my financial situation is, like, different, and I know that I should, like, give, but I can't give, and I know that I should help other people, but I can't help other people, and you either do it or you don't. You know? Yeah, I, I know I shouldn't be in debt, but you don't understand. It was a really good deal. And, you know, I just, I just, you know, I had to do it because it was such a good deal. I, I get it. I've been there. I've had to justify expenses before my wife. It's easier to justify before God than my wife, honestly. The God, I can say, you know, the cross and you gave me forgiveness, forgive me, you know, but my wife took another thing. Um, I mean, really, but it's, we can justify it. I get that. You know, are we going to do and handle our money the way God says we should handle our money? Are we going to handle our job situation? God, when it comes to our kids and grandkids, are we going to do it the way the Bible says? Or are we going to do it the way the culture tells us we have to do it? All the way across the board, you can play this out. We drive down the road. We're going to drive the way the Bible says to drive. You know, the Bible says something about how we drive. We're to obey the authorities over us. If the speed limit is posted 60, we drive 60. Oh, but you don't understand. I'm late. Really? Why are you late? Well, I was running behind. Oh, the Bible has something to say about time management, by the way. Oh, no, 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 that's getting like too tough for me, Pastor. I want to be in control. Okay. How's that working for you? Just remember, when that officer's behind there and the lights are flashing and he's walking up with a little pad, you were in control. Worked well for you, didn't it? Why? You see, this guy understood authority and he understood that, you know what, Jesus, you don't need to come to my house. Why? All you got to do is say it, and, and that's what's going to happen. That's the way it works with me. I'm, I, I'm a centurion. I say it, it happens. I, I got servants. I say it, and it happens. All you got to do is, is see, and, and it's smart for us to step back and go, you know what, I'm going to trust God because he is the authority, and he does know what's best. 
And to step back in whatever issue it is that you're having, whatever issue it is you're struggling with, step back and just ask one simple question. How does the Bible say to handle it? And whatever that answer is, that's what you do. Why? Because God is our authority. God is the one that's going to be in control. And I'm not going to micromanage his control. I'm going to take my hands off of it and trust him. So my prayer for us this week is simple. We're challenged to intercede and care for those around us. We're to be people of great faith who have their confidence and trust in God alone. And we're reminded that God is to be the ultimate authority for all we do this week and not ourselves. Let's pray. Lord, help us. God, it's easy for us to micromanage stuff. It's easy for us to make excuses. It's easy for us to put aside some of the clear things that we know we're supposed to do. So help us this week. God, as we're confronted with things where we want to be in control, where we want to do things our way, would, would you help us to take our hands off and trust you? Lord, for situations where we're struggling, would we go to your word and just simply apply it and do it? And Lord, for those who come into our paths this week that need us to be in their corner to help them, to guide them through it, Lord, can we be those people? And would you use us to make a difference in the way that we minister to those around us and that we have a genuine compassion, a genuine concern for the people you've put in our path. And when it's all said and done, Lord, we'll give you the honor and the glory and the praise. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's stand together. We're going to sing Come.